Welcome to Jonathan on Money, the personal finance podcast that brings you the latest insights and strategies to help you achieve your financial goals. I'm your host, Jonathan I. Shankman. On this podcast, we'll cover everything from investing, financial planning, retirement, and behavioral finance. I'll share advice and practical tips to help you make the most of your money. So whether you're just starting out or looking to take your finances to the next level, Jonathan on Money is here to help. Let's dive into this week's show. Welcome to this week's episode of Shankman on Money. This is episode number 25 and will drop right after the Jewish holiday season. Simchas Torah is now over and the next holiday to look forward to, which is one of my favorites, is Thanksgiving. I consider the next six weeks or so to be some of the most challenging weeks of the calendar with no celebrations or parties, just work or school and errands. Listeners of this podcast don't need to worry. I'll be here putting out weekly podcasts to help you get through the long stretch until Thanksgiving. Speaking of putting out regular content, don't forget to sign up for my monthly newsletter so you don't miss any of the educational information I put out. This includes two dozen live webinars a year, around 50 articles, these podcasts, and additional information and tools. You can sign up for my email or by emailing me at jonathan at shankwellwealth.com with the word newsletter in the subject line. Today, my talking points will focus on the basics of investing, which most people don't understand or appreciate. As always, I'll spend the last half of the episode answering listener questions. I will also share an excellent quote that reveals Warren Buffett's secret sauce to his wealth. So be sure to stick around for that. And with that, let's jump into this week's talking points. So after the past few weeks, I've received, so over the past few weeks, I've received a number of listener questions asking about the basics of investing. And I appreciate these questions since understanding the basics is foundational to making the right money decisions. As I often remind clients, understanding the basics puts you ahead of more than 90% of investors and can set you on the path of financial success for the rest of your life. One of the best ways to describe the basics of investing is to compare it to a birthday cake. And I wish I could compare it to my favorite cuckoo cake, but alas, the analogy just doesn't work as well. There are four main components of a traditional birthday cake. The actual cake, the frosting, sprinkles, and a cherry on top. Let's jump into the analogy since I'm sure listeners are getting hungry for some knowledge. First is the cake. The cornerstone of any birthday cake is the cake itself. There's no debate about this. Without it, you have an impractical and unappetizing mess of ingredients on top of each other, but it certainly isn't a cake. The analogous essential cake part of every investor's portfolio is a combination of stocks, bonds, and cash. Let's discuss and define each one of these areas of the market or asset classes. First, stocks. Stocks represent an ownership stake in a company. For example, Coca-Cola is a large company that issues stocks. If a member of the public buys one of those stocks, they own a piece of the Coca-Cola company. If Coke goes in, up in value, the stockholders will make money by owning a share of a more valuable company. They can sell their stock for a higher price than they originally paid to buy it. Conversely, if it goes down, they will lose money. Additionally, Coke offers a dividend, which is a cash distribution, to stockholders. That means stockholders can actually get paid part of the profits for owning the company while they wait for it to go up in value. Technically, stocks have unlimited upside. That's why they may be the best vehicle for long-term investors who need their money to outpace inflation over that long period. However, stocks can also go bankrupt or remain stagnant for a period or for a decade or more. This is why stocks are risky and investors need to be prudent when choosing what stocks to own. Then there's bonds. 
Bonds are a loan made by the investor to the borrower. The borrower is usually a company or government entity. Bonds are used by companies, municipalities, and states to finance projects and operations. Investors that own bonds typically receive the principal of their loan at a specified due date or maturity date. In addition, over the course of the holding period, the investor receives interest payments to compensate them for lending out their money. Bonds come in many shapes and sizes. Some are very conservative, like treasury bonds issued by the U.S. government. Other bonds are riskier with a higher potential for a default, like those issued by companies that are not in a strong place financially. Typically, the bond portion of investors' portfolio is considered more conservative and serves as a ballast for the more volatile stock portion of their portfolio. This is why many investors have most of their bond exposure on high-quality, relatively conservative bonds. Bond returns typically don't outpace the rate of inflation over the long term. Therefore, consistently maintaining too much bond exposure may cause an investor to lose buying power and limit their nest egg's growth potential. However, as an investor approaches the date when they need to withdraw from their invested funds, it may make sense to decrease the risk in their portfolio. This can be accomplished by shifting more of their exposure to high-quality bonds instead of stocks. And then there's cash. Cash is the least exciting investment and usually has the lowest returns since it carries the least amount of risk. However, cash plays a key role in any investor's portfolio and is particularly crucial for retirees. As folks are approaching retirement, having a cushion of cash, possibly two to three years of expense money, can help mitigate the risk of the market plummeting right before someone needs their money. In such an unfortunate scenario, retirees can withdraw cash without needing to liquidate their investments that have plummeted in value. This cash cushion early in retirement is crucial to helping ensure investors don't outlive their money. Once investors understand the basic stock, bonds, and cash concepts, the key is deciding what percentage of their investment should be in each asset class. The answer to that depends on age, risk tolerance, and personal circumstances. The next part of the cake is the frosting. Frosting is the second most important part of any birthday cake. Without it, the final cake can be a real dud. Frosting comes in many flavors, vanilla, chocolate, strawberry, and many more. There's not one right type of frosting, but having some is important. The frosting within an investor's portfolio are the sub-asset classes to stocks, bonds, and cash that help keep the portfolio adequately diversified. They may also help increase the probability of better risk-adjusted returns if executed correctly. For example, investors should consider having exposure to both U.S. stocks and overseas stocks, large company stocks and small company stocks. They may even want to emphasize a particular industry of stocks like real estate or technology. This also applies to bonds. An investor may want a mix of tax-free state municipal bonds, U.S. government bonds, corporate bonds, and even overseas bonds. Furthermore, depending on investors' goals, they may want bonds that mature in a year, five years, or 10 years. The underlying principle is that if one area of the stock or bond market is lagging, then another area will be performing well. This yin and yang relationship between various investors helps maintain portfolios harmony even during market cycles. It will also keep your emotions in check during challenging economic environments. Next is part of the cake. Next part of the cake are the sprinkles. Sprinkles add a little pizzazz to the cake. They don't add much flavor, but some folks get excited by them. The sprinkles in your portfolio are akin to stocks factors. This is really getting into the weeds on a topic that can quite, get quite nuanced and is also not super important. 
Many stocks can be categorized by different characteristics known as factors. Factors involve targeting specific drivers of return across asset classes. These categories include value, momentum, low volatility, and quality, to name just a few. I'd spend time discussing each of these factors if they are important, but they are not. Just like the sprinkles, if you master the first two sections, then adding some factors can be harmless fun. And finally, there is the cherry on top. The maraschino cherry on top of most birthday cakes is unnecessary. They're usually taken off and immediately discarded, unless one grandpa or uncle at the party who is in the family is willing to eat it. The other 99% of people are appalled by its distinct taste and lack of contribution to the cake itself. The maraschino cherry equivalent within a portfolio are all the latest fads of the day, things that sound exciting, may have had their day in the sun, but are usually extremely high risk and don't always have a solid investment thesis behind them. These include, but are not limited to, cryptocurrency, NFTs, hard money lending, option strategies, and IPOs. I would also argue that most retail investors don't need exposure to hedge funds, private equity, or real estate syndication deals. All these products or strategies fall under the purview of gambling and don't belong in a typical investor's portfolio. Sure, there are exceptions to this rule, but if you are listening to this, you are probably not the exception. And the next step and the final step in this, uh, these talking points are about eating your cake. The basics of investing involve understanding important asset classes to include in your portfolio and knowing what you should avoid. The final component is the correct implementation. The best way to eat a cake is from a plate with a fork or a spoon. A plate with a utensil makes the consumption of the cake efficient and less messy. Similarly, the simplest and most efficient way to implement your portfolio is using mutual funds or exchange-traded funds, also known as ETFs. They're liquid, easy to buy and sell, and allow you to buy a whole basket of stocks and bonds within one fund so you stay diversified to help limit risk. Deciding which funds or ETFs to purchase does require some education, but that's beyond the scope of today's podcast. If you are interested in learning more about the implementation of your portfolio, feel free to shoot me an email and I'll see if I can do my best to help out. Okay, those are the talking points this week. As a reminder, you can be notified of all my recent articles, webinars, and all the other work I put out by subscribing to my free monthly newsletter at shankmanwealth.com forward slash newsletter. Now for this week's quote, which is another excellent thought from financial writer Morgan Housel, whom I've quoted in the past, and he said, Effectively, all of Warren Buffett's financial success can be tied to the financial base he built in his pubescent years and the longevity he maintained in his geriatric years. His skill is investing, but his secret is time. That's how compounding works. For context, 95% of Warren Buffett's $170 billion net worth came after his 65th birthday, which is an amazing data point if you think about it. At the age where many Americans retire, Buffett's wealth just started to grow meaningfully for him. The benefits of compounding take time to pay off and are, real, are really only realized as one gets older and accumulates more wealth. Buffett's long time horizon is the main reason why he accumulated the level of wealth that he has. It's not because of his stock picking, picking ability, although that, that helped. So how does this apply to the average investor? The answer is simple. Focus on your time in the market. The ability to decide on a strategy most is, and most importantly, to stick with it for many decades without tinkering around with it is the ultimate key to developing a large net worth. Most of us won't become multi-billionaires like Warren Buffett, 
but most of us do need to become multimillionaires in order to eventually be able to retire. If you follow Buffett's secret sauce, which is time in the market, you will likely be successful. And now it's time for this week's financial questions. If you do have a question, feel free to submit it to me at jonathanshankmanwealth.com, and it may be answered in a future episode. Okay, first question. Is college worth the cost? Yes, if you do it right. If you go to college, you do have a much higher earnings potential. The key is not going to an institution that doesn't set you up for financial success and saddles you with mountains of debt. Your major also matters, as does your network that you build. So you need to be mindful of those two things and plan accordingly. A school that does not prepare you for financial success, or you choose a major and doesn't that doesn't position you to pay your bills and save for the future, and costs four times the price or more of a state or city school is a waste. Frankly, any university is a big fat waste of time, money, and energy if it doesn't prepare you financially for the realities of life. Believe it or not, there are people who believe that college is meant to do other things, like make you more quote-unquote well-rounded or expose students to quote-unquote new ideas. Let me tell you, there are cheaper ways of accomplishing both of those goals without, without paying a quarter million dollars and rising in tuition fees. Be practical, stay focused, and be realistic. If you do, college can impact your life in a positive way. Next question, if a company's retirement plan offers a Roth and regular 401k as an option, and someone currently has a Roth but wants to put his new contribution into regular, is that usually okay, or do companies only allow one or the other? So if you have both, you could contribute to both, one or the other, or to none at all. You just can't contribute more than the annual amount, which is $22,500 annually if you are under 50 years old, and $30,000 annually if you are over 50. And these are 2023 numbers, obviously, which change, and they change over time. So you can put some monies into Roth and some into traditional, as long as the total doesn't add up to more than the numbers that I just mentioned. If you want to hedge your potential tax liability, then splitting your Roth versus traditional contribution is a great way to do that. Next question, should I have ChatGPT construct my investment portfolio? No. The last time I tried to do that to see what would happen, ChatGPT gave me an allocation that added up to 120%. This result did not exactly inspire confidence. Furthermore, you need to explain to the AI system, humans, or whoever you're working with, what are you trying to accomplish, as well as the rest of your financial picture. If you don't do that, then a portfolio that is recommended may be worthless since it's being built with an incomplete, incomplete information. AI is not, a plate, is not at a place right now where they can measure various factors, both quantitative and qualitative, to help you construct a portfolio, uh, a prudent portfolio. At some point in the near term, AI will be able to offer generic portfolios based on some basic parameters, but that's not super exciting because that's currently what a robo-advisor already does for a modest fee and a mediocre results. Next question, I invest in a lot of real estate deals. The key you need to know the manager of the deal. That makes all the difference between a successful investment and an unsuccessful one. Prove me wrong. Madoff. A lot of people knew Madoff. Things didn't work out so well for them. There are stories all the time, especially in the From community, of someone who was a pillar of his community, who was running a Ponzi scheme or blew things up because he didn't know what he was doing. This is called affinity marketing, <laughs> appealing to people who share the same values, etc., it works. That's why the general public never learns their lesson. They know the fella running the deal. How can it not work? 
Sadly, many times it doesn't. You could use a different barometer to evaluate investment opportunities. Beyond having different determinants to evaluating the success of a deal, be mindful that many deals won't be able to offer long-term consistent results that outpace the broad U.S. market. The proof, the next time that some dude comes to you telling you about his mid-teen or low 20% a year returns on his portfolio, run the numbers of how much money they would be worth over a multi-decade time horizon. The numbers are usually astronomical. Why is someone that should be a centi-millionaire or a billionaire based on the returns that he's claiming, bragging to you about his returns. The answer is he's a fraud for a little and, and looking for a little attention. That's why. And to that, I say, never. Next question. About 60% of my assets are in old annuity, paying 3.5%. I'm 60 years old and nearing retirement. I take comfort in this guaranteed rate of return with more than half of my assets. The question is, I've been told to invest in, this, in the market. I can't understand the case for investing in stocks since they are so volatile while I get a consistent 3.5% every year. Your thoughts? You have an artificial sense of comfort. You will not outpace inflation with this strategy over the long term. Having a portion of your portfolio paying 3.5% yield is perfectly fine, although it's much lower than a money market rate is currently paying, which is around 5% as of this recording. However, having 60% of your portfolio in this strategy may be setting you up for failure. Of course, you may have more money than you know what to do with, and in that situation, you won't outlive your funds. They will just continue to shrink over time, and you'll lose buying power with inflation. I know that what I am saying here may not feel like the right answer. But what you feel is right and what is reality are two different things. Next question is, what do, why does the market keep falling? The market is actually up this year, even though the past month or so makes it seem like things have been terrible for the entire year. The media's goal is to emphasize the negative and not the positive. After all, negativity sells. That being said, most of the market's return this year have been driven by just a few stocks. So the broad market is, isn't exactly booming. This means that if you didn't have exposure to the big winners this year, like a few tech companies, your portfolio may be down for the year. This type of market volatility and discrepancy in performance is not an anomaly, rather characteristic of the market. Every year, some stocks go down and others go up. Some years, more stocks go down and some years, more go, more go down. This is normal. Next question, why are bond prices falling? Bond prices and interest rates have an inverse relationship. This means that the Federal Reserve raises rates, bond prices will fall. This is what has been happening this year and last year. The good news is that bonds should experience significantly better returns in the future since rates are much higher than they have been in nearly two decades. No, this doesn't mean you should make a concentrated bet on bonds. Yes, I still believe that equities will outperform bonds over the long term. No, this doesn't mean you should put all, all your money into equities. And yes, I am still a proponent of a diversified portfolio since no one knows what the future holds. Okay, how impactful will the auto worker union strike be on the economy and my portfolio? Probably minimal. Automobiles represent approximately 3% of the country's GDP, which is negligible. I imagine the other auto companies without unions will begin to pick up the business that the unionized companies are losing. It's a sad state of affairs for American auto workers and their employers. 
But as long as you don't own a large position in these car companies, it will not be overly impactful to your life. These headlines are taking up a disproportionate amount of airtime because they make for a good narrative, and it's exactly why politicians are going to join the picket line to have their photos taken. Next question. What does former Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy's ouster mean for the markets? Nothing. What happens in Washington is a sideshow. The markets will remain resilient over time, regardless of what is happening politically in this country. Eventually, there will be a new speaker and our elected officials will find other things to bicker about. It's the way a democracy works and politics in general works. Don't be angry. You voted for the clowns in office. And yes, they are cl all clowns. Normal, decent people don't become politicians. You only have yourself to blame. It's only the non-voter that can sit confidently on the sideline making smug remarks about our idiot politicians and the idiots that voted them into office. Next question. What happens if there is a government shutdown in a few weeks? Certain government ser services may run on a skeletal staff or not be functioning. National parks, some museums, and IRS agents may not be working or may be furloughed. Um, we've been through this before. Eventually, there will be some type of agreement and the government will open again. In the meantime, the big takeaway I learned from the last government shutdown was that the luxury private gym for elected officials will stay open since it's deemed an essential service. While many U.S. citizens are stressed out of their mind, it's good to know that the people in the House and Senate can get in a good workout and take a nice schwitz, even if the government isn't open and the people that depend on that regular paycheck are not receiving it. Okay, that's it for financial questions this week. Feel free to email me with any questions you have, and I might answer them in a future episode. And with that, it's a wrap for this week's show. Any comments or questions, feel free to reach out directly to me via email. I love hearing from my listeners. And finally, the secret to financial success is no secret at all. It's to spend less than you make, invest the difference prudently, and ignore all the noise. See you next time on Shankman on Money. Thank you for joining me on today's episode. I hope you were able to take away a nugget or two to apply to your own life. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can be alerted whenever new episodes drop. If you'd like to submit a question that may be answered in a future show, please email me at jonathan at parkbridgewealth.com. Be sure to check out all Jonathan on Money content, including all of my articles, webinars, and videos by following me at Jonathan on Money on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Finally, if you like what you heard today, please rate the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps ensure that other personal finance enthusiasts can find the show as well. Thank you and catch you on the next episode of Jonathan on Money.